0: So there's a, a, another guy that I quote here, a, a leadership expert. He's like, why would any hard charging entrepreneur business leader want to pause? Right. Like, why would you do that? Why would you interrupt that? Because pause has kind of a negative connotation that way. Like, why would anybody in business want to do that? And then he goes on to answer his own question. And he says, because that
1: will provide the clarity to sort through mm-hmm. basically the mess. Do you consider yourself to be a hard-hitting entrepreneur or leader? When the going gets tough, do you pause or do you push through? I've been a pusher for most of my life. I thought I had to be in order to achieve my goals. In this conversation with Dr. Chris Johnson, she will share examples of what a pause might look like and a few stories that illustrate the value of this practice. Dr. Johnson is a psychologist and an executive coach. She teaches the fundamentals of mindful embodied learning as a shortcut to leadership development and influence. Before we go to our show, I just want to remind you that I am the founder of Plena Vita Executive Coaching here in Chicago. Exhausted CEOs and leaders hire us when they realize that the hustling and always pushing through isn't paying off anymore, and yet they don't quite know what else to do because they're sick and tired of being sick and tired and having to choose between success and their own well-being. Our clients experience mental clarity and resilience, a resurgence of natural energy and whole body wellness, and the confidence and the satisfaction of knowing exactly how to create their meaningful life without pushing. Bottom line, we help our leaders drop the hustle and become fully alive in their business and their life, guaranteed. Thank you for being here today. Hello, my name is Mary Maduna Gross, and you're listening to Fully Alive, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs who are hungry to live their purpose, expand their impact, and create with ease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Fully Alive podcast. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today I am delighted to be sharing this space with Dr. Chris Johnson. Chris is the author of The Leadership Pause and so much more. Um, So, Chris, thank you so much for making time for this conversation today.
0: Thank you. I'm welcome. I'm really happy to be here. So
1: thanks. I appreciate it. Before we dive into your book, tell us a little bit about you. Give us some context for who you are and and how this work may have emerged from you.
0: Oh, that could be a big, long answer or a short one. I'll give you the medium size. So. I'm Dr. Chris Johnson. I'm a psychologist by training, Uh, have uh, probably close to 30 years of working with folks in both clinical and business settings and um, have been actively coaching, shifting my orientation to more active coaching in the last 15 years, but very specifically the last seven or eight, Mm -hmm. um, where I really work with mostly leaders and their teams today. And I'm very active in conscious capitalism. So that in Chicago. So you've heard me talk about that Mary.
1: Wow. And then,
0: um, the only other thing I would say is that a lot of what informs my work is, uh, and a, my whole adult life, I've been practicing mindfulness and I'm an educator in that space and teach that. And then, um, as a result of some personal issues, and a business coach who got up in my face and said, Chris, you need to develop some fierceness in you. I um, went back and did some, not only coach training, but I took a deep dive into the martial art that she suggested I practice. So I'm a third degree black belt in Aikido, which is the art of peace. And so all of that um, about embodied experience, et cetera, I bring to the bear on the work that I do with clients today. So how's My, that?
1: That that is so much more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. and there's a lot where that came from. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that.
1: <laughs> so here's what's standing out for me as you described that. Yeah. 20 years in, in psychiatry. Um, how has okay? How did I want to make sure I asked this question correctly? Because I have an assumption that um psychiatry uh well, I have a hope that psychiatry has changed over the last 30 years. I got my master's degree in counseling um, back in the nineties. So it's not psychiatry, uh, but it's in that field. And so I have some uh, opinions about that, but I want to hear from you. Like what was it about psychiatry that drew you? And then I'm curious about the shift into coaching.
0: Sure. Well, let me just clarify. So I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a psychologist. I apologize. Um, No, no, I just want to make sure for anybody listening, right? Um, Psychiatry uh, is a specialty uh, that medical doctors go into. I'm a psychologist. And so I only say that because I don't have all the medical hoo-ha that folks have have gone through. But um, in terms of, yeah, so if I answer your question around how it's changed, thankfully it's changed. You know, the biggest thing that I see, well, let me just back up. I was always considered a little bit of an odd duck. And what I mean by that is I have a master's in social work, and then I went on to get my doctorate in psychology. And part of what I was hoping with the master's in social work, I was very interested in cultivating communities, communities of healing and practice. And then ultimately I went back to school after some personal trauma had happened. And I decided I wanted to do a deeper dive into understanding. But in terms of where I see the profession of psychology having changed, um, it started with Freud, who was a neurologist, he was a medical doctor, right? And then, but the focus for a very long time has been on um, what's not working well and abnormal psychology and uh, what's wrong with us. And fundamentally, why I was an odd duck is that I never quite really bought into that because this, there are problems, people have issues, we all do. Um, but really, there's more well and more good about each of us than I think is uh, the deficit model that has dominated psychology. So it's been almost 20 years that the positive psychology movement has been active. And I think the simplicity is that, you know, where we put our attention which is what I teach folks, where we put our attention is what grows. So if we put our attention on what's not working, we'll get more not working. And if we put our attention on the common goodness of humanity and positive affect Mm -hmm. and great behavior, we'll get more of that. Mm -hmm. So I think the field is really starting to shift in a big way so that more and more folks are drawn to a thriving how do we get healthy and maintain well-being? Um, the The dominant model is still deficit. And so there's still a lot of that hanging around. But I am not really one who spends a lot of time there. So that's yeah. a little longer.
1: Yeah. No, and I appreciate that. And that's uh, that's really kind of where I was at, too, even when I got my master's degree. And and the I guess the way that I would have described it is that I have to tell somebody that they're broken before they're eligible for services. I was also in special education at the time, which yeah. is often the deficit model. So that was really yeah. ingrained in me. And I really, like you recently, mm-hmm. like nobody's mm-hmm. broken to begin with. Right. But but there's yeah. that feeling when we're looking at what's wrong, then it seems to come to that conclusion. Oh, crap, I'm broke. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that that is really what drew me into coaching was that in coaching, we get to work with people who are already functioning and happy and healthy. They just want more of that. I mean, there's, you know, places where we're stuck and those kinds of things. Um, and you know, so obviously we have some sort of pain, but I want everyone to understand that that just because you have pain doesn't mean that you're broken. Correct. I agree. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. a lot of coaching, I think that you probably do. And that I do as well is really that internal, those internal systems, virtual mm. external system. A lot of coaching will say, well, how can I manage my systems? What what kind of pieces and things all external can I put into place to run my business? And mm. what we're really talking about are those internal pieces, right? Yeah. How do I align my beliefs with what I really want to accomplish here? And, and um, how do I find out those beliefs that are really holding me back? And I've had so many clients say, Mary, this feels like therapy. Mm. And I've had other clients say, Mary, I've been through years of therapy and we've never gotten to this yeah right yeah. and Bingo. so I think it's really a, a, an important conversation so i really appreciate having this with you mm-hmm. that coaching is different than therapy mm-hmm. um and one of those big differences is we're assuming that people that we're working with are already whole and complete they just have some barriers um and yeah. once the barriers are removed mm-hmm. it, they're there they're they're there now right mm-hmm. it's kind of like i'm i'm there now you know we're, we're when I'm overweight and I think about my skinny body is here, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's maybe that Michelangelo thing, right? I just got to chip away everything. That's not really me. Mm-hmm. to
0: get me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the ways that I talk about it, I write about it in the book, but I talk about it with clients is that all of us develop strategies for living with life yep. and we get thrown into our first families. We don't get to pick those guys. Um, but we end up in a first family. We end up in a particular cultural upbringing, a part of the country or the world, depending on where one's from and all that's good. And that shapes who we are in terms of our mindset, our capacity to access certain emotions, our ability to to enact certain behaviors. And so what happens developmentally, and you'll know this as an educator, is you we're Developing creatures, animals. Mm -hmm. And so over time, I hate to mix metaphors, but it's like the computer model. We have to upgrade Mm -hmm. our inner operating system. And so, very often, as uh, in life, what we bump up against are those opportunities for upgrading the system, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we consider it really normal with kids and adolescents, even in like your college. And then we sort of forget that, that as adults, we keep growing too, or we top out. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folks choose to top out and they've reached a level and they're comfortable and they choose not to go anywhere else. The folks I tend to enjoy working the most with are those who are really exploring that edge of, am I ready to upgrade or am I okay with where things are at? throw throwing a crisis, it makes a little bit of a mess, but then people have these awarenesses like, oh, I could actually do something else if I want to. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing that choice is even yeah. an option uh, yeah. is something that's that we right. remember sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time exploring
0: that mm-hmm. and, you know, how's it all working? And so, and that's the most fun for me. You know, it used to be So years ago, before coaching was a thing, um, as a psychologist, there was a lot of tension in the community around, oh, the coaches are going to kind of take over the domain of of our counseling. And and really, that was a false tension, I think, Mm. because everybody's, we're all in it to support people. Sure. And so if, if we can drop the labels and just like, well, who's right in front of me and what's really up for them? Yeah. Um, and how can I support them being their best self? That's really,
1: that's really what I'm most interested in.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. So tell me then how you found yourself, uh, working with leaders. Yeah. Um,
0: well, the short answer is that my parents were both entrepreneurs and small business owners. And so I was very keen on working with people in their work environment Mm -hmm. Um, for a number of years. I directed an employee assistance program or today we might call there still are EAPs, but we might call it more corporate wellness. Um, And in that context, what would happen with a small business owner, a founder is I would end up working with the leaders Mm -hmm. and then talking about their teams or somebody that they were struggling with. And it just became pretty apparent that working with the leaders to actually do their own upgrade, if you will, whatever that required, actually had a much more extensive reach than not. So that's kind of how it started. And, and then of course, the challenge is always, if I'm going to be helpful to you, I have to do my own work. So am I working on my leadership? And if I'm not, why not? And if I am, what does that look like? So I'm a lifelong learner and love that. And so, but it's been challenging. You know, you got to face yourself sometimes it's really not always a fun
1: ride. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. And and I say this a lot that to me, um, entrepreneurship has been the most intensive personal development Journey I've ever been on, and I thought I was doing personal development, you know, since my twenties. wasn't I was reading books, right? Uh Well, yeah, yes, but I wasn't doing the work. Yeah, and uh, what I found when I look back on that, I really didn't have to, right? Because I couldn't, I could do enough to get by uh, Mm -hmm. on what I had in those work conditions. But when Mm -hmm. everything depended on me, when it's down to no. me there's no place to hide no Mm-mm. and all of those things that I thought I could just kind of shove off to the side I'm really yeah. now those those barriers that are that have been sitting in front of me and now it's my choice what Mary what do you want to do with these rocks mm-hmm. bring so, them around for a long time what do you want to do with them now
0: yeah yeah offload them trade them
1: out for something else <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I that's one thing I really love about entrepreneurship is that it, it continues for me too to be a personal development journey. Um mm-hmm. so that I continue to be my best. Cause I believe that if yeah I can only get my clients to where I am, right? Mm-hmm. I can't move them beyond me, just like mm-hmm. a leader can't move their team or their business beyond where their yeah. belief systems are. That's right. That's right. So so we're simpatico there, absolutely, yep. and it's been um, it's
0: been challenging, and it's been a great joy, and I anticipate it will be more so. And quite frankly, there is a um, let's see if I can find it here. There's a a gentleman that I have followed for a long time. I'm just going to look this up in my book so I read the quote correctly. Um, he is uh, the founder of let's see, yeah. The natural step, I don't know if you know what that is, do you heard of that? Mm -mm. Yeah, the natural step is a process of assessing if an organization is sustainable. And Carl Heinrich Robert, he's a Swedish oncologist, um, pediatric oncologist. Um, So over in Sweden, he kept seeing these kids get sick. Mm -hmm. And basically what he did is he went upstream And got a lot of leaders and other professionals involved and said, hey, we need to really look at why these kids are getting sick. It had to do with environmental degradation, pollution, et cetera. And so out of that, they developed this system that they can apply to organizations to actually see what your impact is. And he has this quote that I use in my book, and it's so important to us today, I think. It has super relevance for us. Uh, the question of reaching sustainability is not about if we will have enough energy or food or other resources. The question is, will there be enough leaders in time? And when I read that the first time, it, it just kind of has been reverberating in my system because today we're facing such wicked challenges. They're not, they're so complex There are no simple answers and we need more of us to be able and have the capacity to lead in ways that will help the future and not just tear it down. So I think we all, I have an obligation to do that because it's important Mm -hmm. uh, to the life of the planet. So will there be enough leaders in time? I really want to support other leaders being their best selves. I want to be that. I suspect you do too. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So tell me about then the leadership pause. It sounds like this is kind of your culmination of what you've learned about leadership and what leaders need to become the yeah. leaders that we need now. Yeah. We well, you
0: know if I think about my work as a trauma therapist over years um, and helping people sort through things that have happened in life that are hard, many of them traumatic. We know that that has a biological impact on our system, our nervous system, our well-being, and that we know that a well-regulated nervous system, it can make all the difference in people's lives. So when I, and as a result of knowing that, I started teaching mindfulness years ago and educating people in very simple, focused practices that had profound implications on their central nervous system. And so, when we have a settled nervous system, we can think more clearly. We can make better decisions. uh, We have more access to our felt sense and our emotions that inform those decisions and actions, stuff that you and I know Mm -hmm. and lots of people don't know. And so, I started seeing and using these practices with leaders, and it started having a real profound effect. So, when I started thinking about writing, a book. It was like, well, what's the, the one thing that if people could zero in on, it would produce pretty amazing results. And it really has to do with observing our breath and pausing. It's like the linchpin because once we do that and we can settle, then all the stuff, all the difference you want to make or the leaders that have, you know, highfalutin jobs or companies or organizations They're much more effective than with themselves and with their team. So the leadership pause is really a combination of stories and practices um, and teachings from those I've learned from, and bringing all those forth to hopefully give folks uh, the opportunity to take themselves on in their own upgrading of their system and in their leadership. So that's really what the leadership pause is about. It's the subtitle is sharpen your attention deep in your presence to navigate the future. And that's really what's inside the book. So that's Love the short it. story.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, it, here's the context that I'm hearing that in, knowing that so many of us, um, right? We've, we've gotten businesses that are important to us, not just because the of the mission, but it also feeds our family. Like it, there's two prongs, right? There's survival, sure. yeah. well, as, contribution mm-hmm. and then and then on top of all of that we've got all of these other cultural kinds of conflicts that are going on whether it's wars we've got going on outside of our country or yeah. social unrest or economic unrest within our own country there's just all yeah. there's a lot of noise there's wow. a lot of noise outside of our own little bubble which contains enough noise
0: yeah that's right mm-hmm. so
1: Tell me again, then, uh, what this pause looks like, or or how was how would one practice a pause? Yeah, yeah so
0: a pause is very simply an interruption in a current flow. So there's a, a another guy that I quote here, a, a leadership expert. He's like, "Why would any hard charging?" entrepreneur, business leader want to pause, right? Like, why would you do that? Why would you interrupt that? Because pause has kind of a negative connotation that way. Like, why would anybody in business want to do that? And then he goes on to answer his own question. And he says, because that will provide the clarity to sort through Mm -hmm. basically the mess. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. Um, So the pause is the intentional suppression or, um, a suspension of a mm-hmm. moment to interrupt what becomes automatic, you know, our bodies and brains are so amazing because as we learn things, they start to go on automatic, which is really great. It's efficient, it saves time, et etc. And the downside of that is that some of the habits that keep us where we are need to be interrupted in order to uplevel. So the pause is a way to do that in a very practical way, so quite simply bringing attention to, oh, I could pause. I could have that choice right now, pay attention to my breath, drop into my body, and just tune into the sensations. Sensations are the way to be in real time because they're happening now. Thoughts and feelings are stuff we've either experienced in the past or we're anticipating in the future. So to be in our bodies and in our sensations brings us right into the moment, which is where we have the real choice. So a pause is very simple on the one hand. And then I go into, in the book, a variety of pauses. There's a mm-hmm. momentary pause like that. There could be a pause of an afternoon. There could be a sabbatical length pause, but really it's the power of the pause to uh help bring us into this moment and what's most important right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty profound, actually.
1: It is. My, um, little oppositional side here is -hmm. is reminding me that results come through doing Mm -hmm. they do happen and so when and i think this is what you were mentioning a a minute ago that pause seems like a dirty word or Mm -hmm. a bad word right because Mm -hmm. i think we're so conditioned to think that if i'm not doing something yeah then i then the flip side of that is i'm being lazy
0: Yes, that, that is a very strong cultural part.
1: message that many of us have grown up with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. In fact, um, I w- was out of town last week. And and so this week, I'm I find myself having a lot of catching up to do. And there's part of me that is still physically recovering, right, from travel mm-hmm. and all of that. And so I've been aware of how my brain, my thought patterns, have really been slow this week. Uh-huh. And, and uh there's part of me that wants to fight that and say, come on, let's go, let's go, let's let's get back into the swing of things. Mm-hmm. The other part of me that says just it's okay. You're doing enough. You're mm-hmm. doing enough to keep moving. You're not sitting down, you're not eating bonbons and watching and mm-hmm. Netflix all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just where you are right tune into yourself what is it what is possible for you today you know can you push maybe just a little bit just explore the possibility that I'm procrastinating or you know holding myself back out of fear for some reason I think there's two different things there's fear that holds us back but then this this need to really rest and recover yeah and to give ourselves permission yeah you actually be in that space because I I feel the come on there's more to do look at this list mm-hmm. the other part of me just says I'll get to it You mm-hmm. do everything happens in the right time well see so what
0: you're just describing I think is the and I'm glad you're saying it this way because it's surfacing a natural tension mm-hmm. that maybe most Americans or Westerners have we're very achievement-oriented, driven kind of culture that we live in. So if we're not constantly doing and being busy, and busy has become a strange badge of honor in some, but you're surfacing the tension that happens. If we don't have rest and recover, we're not going to be as effective. So the pause is an opportunity to do a couple things. It's to catch myself. I talk about this in the book. To catch myself doing the thing that I do whatever the thing is. And like, oh, is it working today to be really focused or busy? Or am I just mindlessly Mm -hmm. doing stuff to keep that, you know, um, squirrel cage thing working. So it gives us an opportunity to notice. And then it also gives us an opportunity if we take it to really look at what's around. Like right now I'm sitting in my office, it's on the seventh floor and I'm looking out over the, um, the forest preserve across the way and the trees are really pretty. And so if we don't stop and pause to notice stuff, we don't notice the natural rhythms that our bodies are about. We're animals, right? And so what you're describing is your natural rhythm is like, I get to it and I don't need to rush and be busy. But that's intention with uh, this kind of cultural and now embodied in me kind of belief like I should keep busy all the time. Right. So, so like we we got it like that tension's real. Yeah, and is. how we work with it is really the opportunity of every day that we have. Like, i am
1: I gonna be here? Yeah. Yeah. And one other piece about that that I just want to mention is that I think the worst of it is then the judge that, that I put on myself.
0: Oh it's while. horrible.
1: Just, yeah, that's <laughs> the worst part.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I should be. I yeah. shouldn't be. I must. I have to, when we talk like that, we're just heaping it on, exactly. you know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. and then we do to each other. I mean, that, then it's yeah. like we have teams or we have families and, and then we're in, it's like, wait a second, hold on. What's really required right now at this moment? Right. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, that's another interesting point that I really have realized as I've kind of Pull, because for me, my leadership was all about what what am I doing to lead a team, right? It wasn't about how am I going to lead myself. That mm-hmm. was never even part of the conversation until I, with, I had my come to Jesus meeting with my superintendent and said, look, you're doing the right things, but you're not getting the right results. So you got to figure this out or you got to go. Uh-huh. And for me, it all came down to self-leadership. Yeah, um, because although I, I would agree, I was probably doing the right things. Everything that I was doing was coming from a place That same voice that I used to criticize myself. I used to communicate with others. Right. And, and that's something that I've really have noticed is that the way that I talk to myself is the way that I'm going to talk to others.
0: Absolutely. Kind of astonishing when you sit back and like let that sink in, right?
1: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing that I've learned to give myself a lot of grace and compassion when I hear those messages like, oh, there it is again, right? Instead of buying into the story and I like, oh, there's that voice again, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't have to buy into it. I'm okay just where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, talk about where I am in the moment. The, that voice is an old voice, right? It's an old voice. Yeah it's not even here with me now Mm -hmm. Now, I think those are some of the the things that I've experienced and and some of the ways that I use this work to observe myself and to keep myself in check yeah yeah I think you know um we've all heard
0: about emotional intelligence that body of work's been around for like 25 years but the first tenet of of emotional intelligence is self-awareness so Uh like But sometimes what we notice about ourselves isn't always the prettiest or loveliest or most stellar thing. So being able to honestly have a look and say, yeah, I get caught up there. And you know what? I'm human too. So I'm going to let that fall to the back. I'm going to focus now. and You know, but that that takes a certain amount of um, resolve to stay with that, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to come back to, too, to what you were saying about the the noticeable impact that taking a pause was having on your clients. So can you tell maybe a story or two that would um, illustrate that for us?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I've got lots of these stories. Um, Let's see who would be. So I have um, one of the CEOs I've worked with is the CEO of a financial
1: institution.
0: We talked really fast like this and there was never any room to get in and you couldn't like kind of figure out where you could actually, and there was maybe a pause and you thought you'd take it. And then he just keep talking right over you. Right. Lovely man, but, and really skillful in, in so many ways, but had not so much awareness about what he was doing with that kind of way of engaging. So as we worked together, I would invite him into the pause. And, um, somebody at his job, he called him a great philosopher, a financial philosopher. So he's a really smart guy, lovely man. And what we started to uncover when he began to pause is that he was kind of nervous actually. And he was nervous that in his role as the CEO, that he should have the answers that he should know. And that that. You know, that had a long history in his life, we came to understand. And so he would get nervous if he was kind of like, I don't really know the answer, but I think I'm supposed to know. And so, one way to resolve it that was at the point when I met him, it was out of his awareness that it wasn't there is like, oh, I just kind of keep talking over people and then I'm not really inquiring about their perspective or point of view and by golly i'm not listening as well as maybe i need to so this is a really smart guy had risen really high as a leader in the organization and yet had a lot of work to do with his self-awareness and he did to his credit he took it on and it wasn't easy but it was more um, engaging and more satisfying so that would be one example okay can you give us one more? Yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, I can. There's a gal named, uh, I'll just call her Mary. Can I do that? I'll call her Mary. And she was, um, a director level at an environmental uh, consulting firm that I was doing some work with. And there had been a 360 done on her. So this was, um, organized through their HR department and these directors were all going through this. She got her evaluation and I debriefed the 360 with her. And for those who don't know, a 360 is an assessment tool where you assess yourself, but other people, both uh, above you and below you in the organization, offer their points of view. And um, she was shocked. She was really, really shocked. She was somebody who didn't talk over like the first gentleman, but had very strong opinions, which is great. Everybody gets to have an opinion, but her opinions were so strong that she would make everybody bad who didn't agree with her. So her feedback basically kind of showed this blind spot. And so one of the things I had her do, she was a very active person, which is great. I had her do a to start engaging the pause by doing a standing practice as I call it. So I got her up and standing and I gave her a little bit of direction about how to pay attention to her body and to notice the quality of her breath when she was standing. So often she would sit in conversation. So I had her get up and start to walk in the room, paying attention to her pace with her breath. And by doing a pause and starting to now pay attention to her breath, she was able to regulate a little bit more. And she came back and I I did share this story in the book. She's like, you know, Chris, I'm a really lousy listener. Like, oh, tell me more. And so she did. And she was able then with the pause and a body-based practice to start to regulate. So she didn't overwhelm herself with, oh my God, this is horrible feedback and I'm an awful person, which is where she went first, right? Um, She was able to start to really see, I am going to choose differently how to listen to my direct reports in particular, because I'm learning they have a lot more to tell me. Mm -hmm. So the power of the pause,
1: it's very simple and it's very, very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. They really kind of help us imagine our own experience and where we might be able to find pauses. Yeah. So as as we're developing this conversation, I guess what, what is coming back for me now is going back to your quote of, will we have the leaders? What do you think the leaders that, how would you define or describe the leaders that are needed now?
0: Well, that's an excellent question. And I do write about that. I think that um, what we need today are leaders who are high in uh emotional intelligence, and what I mean by that is that first and foremost they're self aware and then they're aware of their um they're aware of others around them, and then they're able to your point earlier to take appropriate action, whatever that is so leadership presence mm-hmm. is gonna be increasingly important, and when a leader is really very present, they're not just present to themselves. And they're not just present to the other party, they're present to whatever's going on in between them and to the bigger environment. So executive presence, leadership presence is a very palpable feeling. If somebody has high leadership presence, you feel it when you walk in the room because you feel very seen and heard, even if there's hundreds of other people around you. So leadership presence, curiosity, and then a willing learn to like ditch my ideas that aren't working, um, which often snag us up because we like to have some expertise, right? And we're told in our culture, you should have some expertise. Right. You could still have expertise and have a learning mindset. A deep connection with others mm-hmm. is really, really important and being willing to learn from them and then care and compassion. Those are kind of the qualities I think that leaders will need. And then I have some very focused skills like focusing attention, where they need to be focused, working with their own energy. Um, As you mentioned earlier about getting so busy, so many leaders, and I'm reading about it, you probably are too, this whole busyness sort of squirrel cage thing that goes around. um, With busyness being a badge of honor, people are not taking care of themselves and not regulating their energy. So that's gonna be really important. continuing to deepen listening skills. I mean, most of us, I would say 95% of us think we're great listeners and we're really not. Mm -hmm. And so like, oh yeah, how am I not listening? How could I be a more active and engaged listener? Not a speaker. You know, the conversation is speaking and listening and we put too much emphasis on speaking when it would be uh, important to listen. And then last thing is really, we're going to need leaders who can Not only set a vision and a course, but really can develop other people to to move it forward. So those are the things that are most top of my mind
1: about leadership. Quite a comprehensive list. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. And the pause being one of those tools that we again that self leadership piece. How do I come back? How do I bring my head that's out on all of these issues and bring it back to where I am in my body right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know,
0: because so often people will say, well, you know, I want to get a weekend away. I'll go golf or maybe I'll take a spa weekend. And there's nothing wrong with either of those things. They're great. And if they take us outside Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily uh, inside, like we want to be able to cultivate that inside that you were speaking to earlier, Because otherwise we can just spin and maybe my body will get some rest Have a nice golf weekend or good girlfriend time or whatever. But if there's no real reflection around why the heck am I doing what I'm doing and what do I bring to the table and what can I do to serve? Then I think we miss the boat as leaders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think that one of the things that keeps us from making that internal pause, right? We can go do something else. It's outside of our work routine. But I think what ke- keeps us and kept me from looking inward was There's a shit ton of pain in there. And, and well, the <laughs> <laughs> it is a technical term. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and I think that, again, I'll I'll speak for myself. I didn't know what to do with it, right? And I was certainly convinced that it would overtake me. Yeah. huh So how do you suggest to your clients what, what to do with these emotions that are just, they're right there. We all know they're there, but we're just keeping away because it feels like it's too much. Yeah. I think
0: this question that you're asking is maybe one of the most important questions to ask like I can see you look a little flesh in the face and you're flummoxed even asking and I've been there I'm not there at the moment but it could happen anytime now um I think that as a culture we have really disavowed our emotions and that there's something to be dealt with uh under the table out of the sight out of mind and in fact our emotional lives are um are part of the fuel that uh, can enliven our lives and help us to make the difference we want to make. So learning to get comfortable with feelings is really, really important. A factoid to remember is that emotion, like thinking um, is really, if you boil it all down, it's really a perception of our sensing experience. And if we can withhold our judgment about calling an emotion something or calling a thought something, and just I'm having an experience, mm-hmm. I'm having a sensation, that biological sensation only lasts 60 to 90 seconds. So if I can hang out there and then let it dissipate, what we can discover is oh, what does that emotion like anger or fear or sadness or whatever? How does it inform what's really important to my values? And then the next action. So I hear this question in some form or another, the one you're asking, how to work with emotions. I hear it a lot, have heard it a lot, have to face it. And I think the biggest thing that I have learned on my Aikido mat as an Aikidoka practitioner is this idea of turning and facing. So if you imagine that the... uh feeling that you're having your is welling up, but it's over to your non-dominant side. So for me, that's my left side and I it's over here and I don't want to pay attention to it. But if I can use the pause and the breath Mm -hmm. to feel my feet and regulate and then I turn and face it Mm -hmm. instead of running away from it or instead of drinking, eating, working too much, which is some of the strategies we use, then I can start and then it kind of fades. Then it's like, oh, it's there. It's very powerful. I have a loss or I'm really pissed or something, but it's, it's workable. But if I keep it over here, it's not so much. And that's very simple. And it's hard to do because we've built up all of these strategies and beliefs around what it means if I'm angry or sad or anything else. Right. So turning and facing is really a key
1: thing. Turning towards. The mm-hmm. thing that's yeah. a big thing so yeah yeah it's very uh, i have a very similar practice I, I i like the turning and facing um i typically ask my clients and myself to sometimes in the moment you just can't do it right you, you got to do what you got to do to get through the moment but when you set time aside maybe the pause is outside of this conversation or mm-hmm. just whatever uh, situation that i find myself in i can remove myself. I can go for a walk. I can go sit in the bathroom mm-hmm. for 10 minutes if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And That's really where I, I say just, okay, I'm going to feel it. I'm whatever this is. I'm feeling it right now. And I'm going to give myself full permission just to feel it. It's just an emotion. Yeah. Uh, and it's not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it could be dramatic. At, uh, it, it's expression. Yeah. I can be okay with that too. It's yeah, It's just an expression. And there's, it's like having a good cry. I think, you know, um, growing up, of course. So, I mean, I was, and I'm sure a lot of us were taught, you know, to keep everything buttoned up as we've been talking about, but when you would just sad movie or something, Mm -hmm. just have that really good. Yeah. The core cry afterwards, you would be exhausted, but there's also this lightness that comes out of it. And so that kind of experience that I have when I give myself permission to let that emotions come up, I am exhausted and I do feel lighter. Yeah. Because yeah. I think as long as that emotional energy, we're holding on to it, whatever beliefs that we've attached to that energy, get to stick around. but and they once, get reinforced. And it gets reinforced. Okay. So I, I think that's another part too, is really there, there's no story, right? And so when I'm allowing myself to have this experience, I'm focused on the physical experience. That I'm having of the emotion, not the story that may have triggered this mm-hmm. response. Uh, and then, once I'm in that tired, lighter space, now I can think clear and say, "Oh, I don't. I, I don't know why I ever believed that about myself. This is what I believe about myself now."
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: based on this new belief, these are the new behaviors mm-hmm. I, that I want to uh, put into place. And there's something so simple about that i mean not in what what we have to go through but once that energy is released and that space is there if we can really install these new beliefs and these new new behavior patterns and all of a sudden it's like i've been trying to do this for 20 years and all of a sudden um yeah. it's easy to do right Because we did let go of those core beliefs um through that energy release right well it's that kind of developmental work,
0: if you would call it that that is so powerful and it's very simple on the surface yes. and it takes a commitment to do it. Yes. But to your point, this uprush of emotion mm-hmm. is sim- very simply a biological event. And if I cannot if I can let myself have it without judgment, then things can shift, which is why some of the newer therapies, Uh, energy therapies are so helpful because they allow the shift and then literally things make a different sense on the other side of that. Um, But we spend a lot of energy trying not to feel stuff that really we would be better off feeling and letting it run through our body. And then we have more access to more energy and that lightness and that verve that's going to carry us, especially as leaders, into what's the next right action for my team or for the business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and it just occurred to me, as you said, the word leader, that what we've just described here is like probably the antithesis of what most leaders have been taught. Absolutely. Right? They have all the right answers. There's no room for feelings. In fact, I was even in a, in a, um it was a webinar around uh, conscious culture. There's no room for feelings. We're too kind. We're too compassionate. I'm like, Holy Moses! No, yeah, no, no, no. That's that's (laughs) not right at all. (laughs) We're going here. That's that's the old way, right? And that's the old that command and control kind of leadership. And for those of us who came up in that, we were kind of conditioned around that, and we wanted to be something different. I think that was that's for us. We have to break those habits, those beliefs about what command and control, what our job really is. That's right. Um, one of my new favorite books right now is Energy Rising by Julia DeGanji, I think is her last name. Okay. She, like talks about energy and um, that our real job as leaders is to lead ourselves. I oh, that's so- exactly true. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think we're kind of coming full circle here in this conversation.
0: Yeah. Um, I think so.
1: Are there any, thoughts or uh, ideas that have come up for you during our conversation that we haven't talked about yet?
0: Oh, there's scads of those and I don't think we have time to cover them, but um, this is a great conversation. And I think it's actually, if I may, Mary, I think it's on the cutting edge because energy management, energy, working with our energy and not in a woo-woo weird way, but in the honest to goodness, like we're energy bodies, we are alive and then we are not. And so, how to work with that is really some of the cutting-edge work that's going to be in the future for all of us, including all the leaders. So yeah. it's really smart to pay attention here.
1: I think, yeah, I think so too. And it's exciting. It was right? mm-hmm. exciting to see now that we are having like your book and and uh, Julia's book and and others like it that are showing us right, giving us a map or or even the destination sometimes of this is what's possible. Yeah, uh, okay. in contrast to what we've you know had to you know i think some of us had to go out and figure this out for ourselves yeah. because we have those resources and we had okay. to you know push back against what we were taught and you know that takes a toll on us too
0: yeah for so. sure yeah yeah i i think everything that we've been taught is just it's not bad it's just uh, not complete and so right. Um, coming to this new phase, if you want to call it that, or new age or new era, where some of these more positive, energy-focused opportunities are really going to be great resources for all of us. So thank you so much for having me today. I would, uh, I'm curious to hear what your uh, listeners have to say. Uh, And I would love to hear.
1: So as you invite them, I'd love to, I'll I'll keep track and see what they have to say. I would love that. Thank you, for, too, for being on the leading edge for us and helping lead us into this new age of leadership and what this um, not only requires of us, but also what how we get to grow in the process. Because I, I think that's the other beautiful yeah. thing here is that it's no longer about doing for other people exclusively. It's about doing for us so that we can do for other people. That's right. It has to start here. So, yeah. Yeah, it has to start here. So thank you. Appreciate it. So, Chris, where can listeners connect with you um, and learn more about you? Uh, they could check out my website at
0: q4 consulting.com. Uh, you can find me there, connect with me there, or over on LinkedIn, Chris L. Johnson. Uh, use that middle initial with a common name like Johnson. And so you can connect with me over there. I'd love
1: to hear from any and all of the folks that listen and are intrigued. So thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. This has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for listening to the Fully Alive podcast. I really do appreciate it. And if you are feeling generous and you want to rate the show and subscribe to the show, go for it. I would love a five-star rating, but only if you think I've earned it. If I haven't earned this five-star rating from you yet, I encourage you to reach out to me via email or social platforms. I'd love to learn how I can make this show even more impactful for you.